You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Happy New Year. Welcome to uh, 2020. Um, a new year, a new decade, right? 2020, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be alive. There's a lot of uh, unique opportunities that are ahead of us in 2020. We're looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. We're, we have no idea what's ahead, but we're looking forward to whatever the Lord is going to do in our midst. It's an interesting time to be alive, right? 2020, an interesting time to be alive. But it's also a very complex and uh, challenging time to be alive, especially for those of you who are in Christ. The challenge and the complexity to follow Jesus Christ and to live in this world. And let me just put it this way. It's not the 1970s when I grew up. It's not. Right? I mean, I think about all the, all the changes that have happened since... The 1970s, when I was just uh, a teenager, you know, graduating from high school, and I'm thinking about, wow, this world's a lot different than what it was in, in 1970. I mean, today we're navigating an online world with the implications of social media. I mean, those words weren't even in the vocabulary in 1970. An online world, all the implications of social media, and, and the challenges about how our devices themselves are impacting us socially impacting us emotionally, even physically, the challenges that we're living through that, the legalization of marijuana, wow, that wasn't true in 1970, I knew a lot of people that wish it was true in 1970, <laughs> but it wasn't true in 1970, we're living through that, just, I mean, I, just navigating that. We're now living with the results of the redefinition of marriage and the redefinition of family, we're working through gender and sexual identity issues. This is the world in which we live. It's not simple to navigate that if you are in Christ, because there's a seemingly an increased intolerance and opposition towards the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ and the scriptures that we hold very dear. So as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking, wow, this is not 1970. I, it's, my parents said to me in 1970, I can't, Earl, I can't imagine the world that you're facing. Oh, how the tables have turned. Because today, as I was thinking this past week about this, I was thinking about how difficult it must be to be a Christian young adult today to try to navigate this world, or, to try, or how difficult it is to be a parent of a Christian young adult today. Man, it's, it's, it's got to be, it has to be challenging, or just how difficult it is to maintain a commitment to follow Jesus Christ in the midst of all the change that's around us. And so because that's true, I, I, I believe this is true as we look at our text this morning in Proverbs chapter 4, that in two 2020, we have this urgent need for wisdom, an absolute desperate urgent need for wisdom. Now, if you were here last week, we had a, we had a definition of wisdom that we were looking at, this short-form definition. We said that wisdom happens when I embrace the principles of God and apply them to my, li to my life in a skillful way. So what we're not saying about wisdom is that wisdom equals experience. 
You know, it, there's kind of like this thing out there, like, you're wise if you've got experience. That's only like a very small portion of the definition of wisdom. You see, go back to the wisdom definition. It happens when I embrace what? I embrace the principles of God and then apply them to my life in a skillful or experienced way. This is the definition. This is our urgent need. Our urgent need is to see this happen in our lives. To be able to take the, the principles of God and apply them to our lives in a, in a skillful way. So in 2020, we have an urgent need for this kind of wisdom. And so they say, hindsight is 2020, right? So we're going to turn, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. This is a 10th century B.C. ancient text. Like, where do you go for words of wisdom? Let's go way back. Let's go back to the 10th century before Jesus Christ and listen to the words of Solomon, the father who's speaking words of wisdom to his sons. Right? To his sons. And you'll notice that if you look at Proverbs chapter 4, there are three distinct paragraphs. This is actually a chapter in the midst of a, another a section in Proverbs called the lectures of a father to his sons. Right? It's awesome. So if you're here, you're a teenager, and go, oh man, like it's lectures? Yeah, it actually is kind of lectures. This is not like Solomon is not put, saying to his sons, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee, and we'll just kind of meet around the table and have a little discussion about things. No, it's not like that at all. This is like an intense, an intense directive from a father to his sons. Because you'll notice at the beginning of each one of these paragraphs, Right? He starts with urgency. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. The first paragraph is verses 1 through 9. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Then the second paragraph, look at verses 10 through 12 as he begins that paragraph. He says, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. And then the last paragraph, verses 20 through 22, he says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for your life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Like he's intense. You've got to listen to this, is what he's saying. You must pay attention to it. You have to listen to it. You have to do this. And what was important then is also important now. In order for us to navigate 2020 and live the way that God wants us to live, there, we have this urgent need, all of us, if you're in Christ, you have this urgent need for wisdom. And so I want us to look in chapter 4 and see the three foundational wisdom truths for 2020 that I, I believe that uh, Solomon is sharing with his sons and God is sharing with us this morning 
that we can learn in the midst of, in the midst of what's going on. So here's the first one. Here's the first foundational wisdom truth. Establish your priorities. Look at verses 5 through 9. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of the wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Whatever you do in 2020, get wisdom. This is the, the first foundational wisdom truth for us as we face everything that we face in 2020. We have to pursue, our priority has to be this, get wisdom. Now, this is the time of the year when many of us set goals how many of you, anybody set any goals this year? Not just like the, you know, not very many people. You've been too busy eating fruitcake, I guess, or something like that. I don't know. But we set goals. We establish resolutions. I know you have, you must be thinking a little bit about what you want to see happen in 2020. You have hopes and dreams. I mean, what's on your list for 2020? Right. If 2020 is going to be a success for you, what is it going to look like this time next year for you to be able to say, wow, that was, I, you know, that was a year that you know, God did, this was a good thing for me. What's on your list? Well, this, is what is, this has got to be at the top of your list. It's got to be very, like, not at the top, it's got to be really near the top of your list. That is to get wisdom. Do you see what he says? Do you see how ramped up he's about this in verse 5? Get wisdom, get insight. Verse 7, he says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Right? In other words, this has got to be your priority. Whatever you get, get insight. Whatever you're going to do, you've got to pursue this. You've got to get Get wisdom. Don't, he says you've got to prize her. You have to embrace her. Don't forsake her. Get her. I remember when Brenda and I were dating a long time ago. But when we were dating and um, before we made any commitments long-term, I just remember the day when, when I actually realized that this was the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. That some, you know, the connection between the head and the heart. Some of you have been there before. The connection between the head and the heart. It was like, I would just, it just kind of clicked for me. It hit for me that this is the woman that I want to commit to and I want to spend the rest of my life with. And then at, after that moment, once it clicked inside of my heart and in my head, after that moment, after that moment, the only thing I could think about is how do I get this to happen? <laughs> right? It's like Everything was about that. You wake up every morning. How do I get this? To, I, got, I got a ring. I got to do all these other things. You got to do this. How do, I, how do I get this to happen? It became my passion. It became my pursuit. This is what the father Solomon is saying to his sons. This is what God is saying to us today. That as you embark on 2020, you need to have a single priority, a passion, a pursuit. And that is what? To get wisdom. So you're asking the question, well, how do I get that? I mean, I want that, but how do I get that? How do I get wisdom? Well, it starts, it starts with understanding that it's all about a right relationship. Look at these words about Jesus. 
The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. He's like, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Okay, let's read that again. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I mean, lots of people did that. The queen of Sheba did that. She came to hear the words of wisdom. And then, then Jesus says this about himself. He says this, And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So if you truly have a desire in your heart to want wisdom, to take the biblical principles of God and be able to apply them skillfully to your life, it means it requires of you to have a relationship with Jesus because he is true wisdom. That's what Jesus meant, talked about when he talked about in John 15 where he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. My word abides in you. He's true wisdom. See, gaining wisdom requires a relationship with Jesus. And some of you here this morning, you may not have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're just beginning to learn about Jesus. Thank you for being here. Our prayer, our dream, our hope for you is that you would not only hear about him and learn about him, but you would actually enter into relationship with him because he is the one where true wisdom is found. And that relationship is, is really described in the book of Proverbs in a way of where we're supposed to know God in a way that leads us to fear God. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. To fear, the fear of the Lord is the what? beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The foundational principle, the first thing in gaining wisdom is to fear the Lord. That means you have a reverence, you have an awe over his otherness, over his holiness, which leads you to a submission to God as the highest authority in your life. And notice how that that is tied to an increasing growth in our understanding of who God is, an understanding that is never completed, the knowledge of the Holy One. How in the world could you ever exhaust the knowledge of the Holy One? It's impossible. I mean, God is so far beyond us, and yet he talks about there's a this concept of fearing the Lord, of having a reverence for the Lord, of respecting him, and that leads us to a submission to God as the highest authority in your life. It's tied to our growing understanding of who he is. You see, it starts with a relationship with the God of the universe. If you want, to, if you want wisdom, it, it's, never separate, it's never separated from that. You can't find true wisdom outside of the one who is true wisdom. What I have found is that most of us want to just experience a God without having to study him. To fear him, to have knowledge of the Holy One, is to read, study, and meditate on God's word in a way, in a way that leads us to fear, submission, and obedience, and that's what wisdom is. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, 
the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. See that? Which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. That means we have to read God's Word. And last week, Pastor Craig shared with us a lot of different reading plans that are available on our website. I mean, we should all be engaged in reading God's Word every single day. But some of us need to learn how to dive deeper than just reading. We actually have to study it and meditate on it. And if you don't know how to do that, we have classes here that will help you do that. You can take a class like How to Study the Bible. You can get engaged in Bible study with some other people, with men, with some of our men and some of our women, you can get engaged like that. You can uh, study God's Word. You need to know the great doctrines of the Christian faith. Do you know that there are these awesome, amazing, great doctrines of the Christian faith that the church has been talking about for a, thousand, a couple of thousands of years? The beautiful, beautiful, describing the beauty of God himself. Take a class like basic doctrine here. Why? So you can Fear the Lord, because fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It starts with relationship. So how do I get wisdom? Well, it starts with the right relationship. Get into that relationship. Second of all this, just ask God for wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, this is God responding to Solomon after Solomon has just asked him for wisdom. God says, because you have asked this, okay, you just imagine, right? God, God comes to you and says to you, hey, all right, what do you want? Clean slate, what do you want? Just, just think about it for a second. Not too long, I don't want you to go off to some beach somewhere or something like that, <laughs> right? But that's really what God, God's saying to Solomon. He said, what do you want? What do you want? And he says, he says, I want wisdom. And so God says, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, because of that, because you asked for that, I'm going to give it to you. Isn't that what James says in James chapter 1, verse 5? Those of you that lack wisdom should what? Ask God for wisdom. Why? Because he loves to give wisdom. Sometimes we don't have things because we don't ask for them. We have not because we ask not. James talks about that. So get wisdom. Make it your priority. Make it your passion. Make it your pursuit. Establish it as your priority. That's the first foundational wisdom truth here in Proverbs chapter 4. That is what we should be doing in 2020. If you want to be able to navigate the life that's ahead of you in 2020, get wisdom. Make it your priority. Here's the second thing. Stay on the right path. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. After again, in verses 10 through 13, he's instructed with his words of urgency. He says this in verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. 
But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. So here he's talking to his sons, and he's saying, listen, I want to talk about these two paths. Let's see the picture on the screen. There are, there's these two paths, he says. Not three, not four, not five, just two wisdom paths. You can either take the path of the wicked, or you can take the path of the righteous. Right? You can just see him. He's talking to his sons. Boys, here's the deal. You're either going to be on this path, or you're going to be on this path. Don't take this path. Take that path. And he starts, he starts the discussion here, and he, he, he points out that there are these two ways of life. There are these two ways of seeing the world. They are two very different ways of seeing things. Well, Psalm 1 is like this, right? The first psalm is a similar kind of description. He starts with the path of the wicked. These are the ones who had nothing to do with God. They don't want to have anything to do with his teaching. So he says in verses 14 and 15, stay away from that. All right, just stay clear from this path. Look, do you see the words he uses? Don't enter, right? Don't walk in the way. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. It's just superlative after superlative after superlative. He just keeps adding on, 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 over and over again. He's basically saying to them, don't even think about it. Like, don't, don't go there. Stay clear of that path. Why? Why is, he, why is he saying that? Because he says in verses 14 through 17, the wicked can't stop themselves. Right? Do you see what he said? Look at what he says in and in verse 16, they can't sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed to sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. It's like they're planning at night and then they're executing during the day. They desire for a total domination. It's like they're addicted. They're addicted to their, their form of power that they're feeling. The, the ability to, to get their own way. They, they're addicted to that. I have these conversations with people, and they're, they're, you know, the social agendas in our culture today, the changes that are happening in society, culturally around us, we find it hard to believe, like, it's like, isn't it enough that they just, you, some people will say, isn't it just enough that they just, they just, they just want to, why can't they just take a piece of the pie? Why do they want to have the whole pie? This is why. The wicked believe in what they're doing. They do. They believe in what they're doing. And they're addicted to the power that they're, they're doing. And they will stop at nothing until they have achieved dominance. This is the world we live in. They don't see the connection between sin and sin's consequences. Look at verse 19. The way of the wicked, it's like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. Like they don't even know. They don't know what, what they're stumbling. They just don't see the connection between their sin and the sin's consequences. Common sense, it turns out, is not that common anymore. You just take a step back and just think about some of the things that are happening on, in our world, in our country. And I, I just, 
you know, I just take a step back and I think, you know, it makes sense to me. Common sense would tell me that if you're going to take a, a child that was born male and try to transition them and make them into a girl, that there are going to be consequences for that. The way the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. It makes sense to me, just taking a step back, that if you're going to sleep with people outside of the marriage bond, then that's going to have consequences. And so what he's saying to his sons and what God is saying to us this morning is like, don't give the path of the wicked opportunity to influence you. And so that leads to the second path, and that is the path of the righteous in verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until, until full day. The righteous are the ones who delight and meditate on the law of the Lord. Their way is like the light of dawn, right? You know, isn't it great in the summertime? In the summertime, when we're able to get up early in the morning and we can maybe drive down to Lake Ontario, or some of you, if you're privileged to be able to walk down to Lake Ontario early in the morning and you kind of turn, look to the east, and all of a sudden the sun starts to rise up over <laughs> the horizon, and, and you, as soon as it starts to creep over the horizon, you start to feel the heat of the sun. I know, I know, it's so, it's so cruel of me to do this in January, but... I, but you can, feel, you can feel the sun start to shine. And, and then if you stay there longer hours, a few more hours, making its way up to the noonday sun, you can feel the full, the full, arm, full strength of the, of the sun on you. That's, that's what the path of the righteous is like. It's a light that grows with time. It shines brighter and brighter until the noonday sun. So how do you, in 2020, stay on the righteous path and not on the wicked path? How do I stay in the righteous path when I live in a world where the way of the righteous is not shared by the majority of people around me? How do I, you know, how do I stay on the righteous path when the way of the wicked is cloaked in terms like tolerance, equality, and love? How do I do that? Well, it's got to start with believing in Jesus. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Is this true? That's the question that you have to answer. Is this true? It's the only, it's the only, it's the starting point. It's the starting point. You know, having a relationship with Jesus, having a relationship with the God of this universe is the starting point of towards wisdom. And then answering this question, answering this question, are the words of Jesus actually true? If you can answer a yes, it can help you stay strong. And then I would say this. Here's the second thing that I think will help you a lot. Walk with the wise. 
Walk with the righteous. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Be careful who's influencing you. Who are your main influencers? Walk with the wise. Scripture, obviously, is a great place to start. This is a great place to walk with the wise. And we were doing that this morning. We're looking at what Solomon had to say. But the Holy Spirit inspired him to write down and what God is saying to us this morning. This is great wisdom. We're, gonna, we're parking ourselves. That's what we do. We're going to do that. We, we read other books. I would suggest even some older books. right? Not just new things, but old things. I was reading um, a book by Athanasius, 3rd century after Jesus Christ about on Athanasius on the Incarnation, and I was reading a paragraph this Christmas, and it, I went, whoa! It's just a, some way that he, said, that he said it that made me think, wow, Jesus is amazing. So we need, to, we need to walk with the wise. It means in our church, older need to interact with younger it's not just an age thing, but it's a spiritual maturity thing. Older need, and all throughout scriptures, you see examples of that, how the older are encouraged to hang out with the younger, those who are more spiritually mature, those who are newer in Christ, interacting with one another, engaging with one another in community. Please, let me, let me plead with you. Don't let the internet and social media be your guidance of wisdom. We need real, live, personal interaction with people. You need more than information to achieve wisdom. More than just information. You need helpful guidance through the process. Parents, please, with your children, even as Solomon is doing with his sons, so you too, you pursue after biblical wisdom and then pass that along to your children. That's what we need. That's how you can help, we can help one another stay on the path of the righteous. So stay, stay on the right path. And here's the third thing. <clears throat> Have a daily plan. Look at verses 23 through 27. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Why, why is he saying that? Why is he telling his sons this? Because when he, as a father, when he looks at his sons and knowing his own heart, he knows that in his son's heart is a, a battle that's going on every single day. Every single day. And every single day in 2020, if you are here and in Christ, if you're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are engaged in a relationship with the God of this universe through Jesus Christ. Every single day there's a battle going on inside of your heart every single day martin luther put it this way he said we are simul justice et peccator 
That's Latin for this. Christians are at the same time righteous and sinners. Or as some have popularized it, they are at the same time saints and sinners. Christians are at the same time righteous and sinners. We are saints and sinners. We are saints, righteous, because we've been been declared to be righteous by God because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. By grace through faith, united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Adopted into the family of God, in the spirit, and the spirit dwells in us. I mean, I need to go on. All these spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We have been declared to be righteous by God because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. If you are in Christ, that's who you are. But at the same time, you're a sinner. I hope I don't have to convince you of that. You read passages like Romans chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 5. We are no longer under the dominion or control of sin, but we are now engaged in a struggle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. So we could say it kind of like this. We could say, slide please, sin is normal, but it's not okay. If you're in Christ, you you know that's true. I am a saint. I've been declared to be righteous. I'm in Christ's righteousness. So when God sees me, if I were to die today and stand before him, he would declare me to be righteous, not because of my own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Right? I, I know that's true, but I also know at the same time, at the life that I live, that, there, that, there, that sin happens in my life. There, I'm in the midst of this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. I kind of, I'm engaged in that. It's, it's normal, but if you're in Christ, you're not okay with that. That's the, every single day. Is the choir in the house? Is there an amen here? Amen. Every single day when you're in Christ, you're going through this, this, this battle. And that's why John Owen, the Puritan, he said it this way. He says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. All of us struggle with this. No matter how much you look like your life is all together right now, like if you, you might have a conversation with someone afterwards and, you know, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, fine. How was Christmas? It was good. Yeah, it was great. I survived. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Everything's good. No, no, matter what you, no matter what you say to me or what I say to you, I'm just telling you this. I know that inside of us every single day is this struggle. You have the same battle that I do. That's why he says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Right? For from it flow the springs of life. Then he says this, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Why? Because our speech is not only an indicator of our heart, but it also influences our hearts. When we lie, when we gossip, when we're engaged in saying the, the wrong things. It's an avenue for sin to engage or get its way into our hearts. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. I mean, we all know this is true. Men, you know this is really true. We know, all know how easy it is for our eyes to wander, and when they do, that gives sin access into our hearts. 
Ponder the path of your feet, he says. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Two words from my friend Rick Reed. He says this, survey and squash. Survey, survey. What, does he mean? what do you mean survey? Every single day, every single day, you, assert, you need to survey who you are in Jesus Christ. Not once a week, every single day. Why every single day? Because every single day, you're engaged in this battle. Every single day, we need to survey who we are in Christ. All the spiritual blessings of who we are in Jesus Christ. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul said we, that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every single day when you wake up, rehearse the blessings of being a child of God. And then squash Colossians chapter 3, put to death. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. May he lead you. May he be the power in which you act. Make commitments where you're saying, I am dead to those things. I don't want to go to those things. I'm going to create boundaries in my life. Establish new habits. Goals are great, but it's the steps that matter. And then engage in this beautiful spiritual discipline that the Lord left for us called confession and repentance. Seek forgiveness from the Lord when you fall. Confess before the Lord and repent and experience the forgiveness of the Lord that only he can give. And that's wisdom.